Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Haywood, our political correspondent. We've been digging around in our virtual mailbag this week and we've had loads of great questions, but actually there is one story that has been developing around immigration that we really wanted to focus on. So we're just going to do one question on that theme so that we have time to talk about it all. Um, Rachel, uh, which question have we picked? Okay, so I travelled far and wide to get this question, which has come from Josh in Australia, (laughs) although I'm sure plenty of people in this country are thinking about this issue too. Josh asks... Do you think the replacement of Suella Braverman with James Cleverley as Home Secretary will help reduce the backlog of asylum claims? So this is a good question. I mean, it's a far too sensible question for the reality that we're living in at the moment, I think, because reducing the backlog, as our questioner mentions, would probably do more to ease the situation of paying £7 million a day or whatever we're paying for asylum seekers in hotels around the country um, and help clear that backlog and also help send the people who don't have legitimate claims back to to their own countries. So that's not happening. The Prime Minister has committed to clearing the backlog, but that's of 91,000 so far legacy asylum decisions. So those are applications that have been waiting for an initial decision since last June. That's just 52% of the actual overall backlog. So it's huge, the number of decisions they have to get through. And the Home Office has hired new caseworkers, like hundreds of new caseworkers in the past year or so to tackle this. Um, But I think we spoke about this, Freddie, on a previous podcast, Robert Jenrick who was the immigration minister until recently, and we'll come on to him later, he actually as as much as admitted in an interview that processing mm. claims quickly would perhaps incentivise more people to come. So there's, there's always been that slight, um, you know, reticence about actually clearing this backlog properly. Yeah, though we must say that the legacy backlog has gone down. Yeah. It's just that new people coming into the system has made sure that the total number the total of asylum number seekers has stayed static yeah so they have made some effort to do so and as you say they have hired people in the home office um but it's worth saying that the capacity to do so beforehand was abysmal yeah so they're just trying to catch up with the past i mean they're not doing a great job of it uh but 
but they definitely made some progress with the legacy claims. Mm. But that's an interesting point that um, what, what Jenrick said, that processing claims promptly might encourage more people to come here. You could look at it the other way if you knew that you didn't have a legitimate claim to be here and you would be quickly processed and then sent back, which is what happens when claims get rejected, you might not want to risk it whereas if you know that you know there's going to be a couple of years of yeah. back and in forth in which you can go into the black economy and disappear yeah, or which work, in which make time money. in which time anything can happen really yeah. then that's that's slightly different yeah absolutely and and our questioner then asks whether or not you know this backlog will come down faster under Cleverly than Braverman. But we know that Cleverly's focus as Home Secretary so far, and I know he hasn't been in the job that long. Um, he, he's actually been preoccupied with other things, hasn't he? So we'll go through those. Um, first of all, there's been a bunch of changes to legal migration announced this week. Um, Rachel, can you take us through those changes? Yes. So um, it's quite interesting that for uh, the last kind of couple of years, whenever the topic of immigration in general has come up, the conservative uh, reflex has been to talk about stopping the boats, yeah. Rwanda illegal um, migration. And that kind of all changed a couple of weeks ago when we had the revised, uh, the new migration figures, which showed that uh, legal migration in 2022 was up to 745 thousand which is a record and keep in mind that the, the the conservative policy is to get migration back into the tens of thousands so what they've announced to tackle legal migration so people who are in the country or coming to the country because the home office has granted them visas the headline one was changing the minimum salary needed for skilled overseas workers from 26,000 pounds to 38,700 pounds then there were uh, that doesn't apply to the health and social care sector. So there is still an exemption, which is uh, you have to earn this much, but not if you're coming to work in our NHS or social care. Yeah, or How, teachers or anyone else on well, national pay scales like that. The teachers one they had to they had to clarify that later because people went, hang on, teachers are on national pay scales, and they were like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, not that either. Um, so other skilled work. So a lot of public sector workers are exempt. Yes. Um, then there's a ban on bringing family dependents uh, to the UK, which applies to care workers, um, which has also been something that the, the care sector has really talked about. And like, hang on, we want people to come here, but we don't want them to bring their children or families. Mm -hmm. And companies being able to pay workers 20% less than the going rate for jobs on the shortage application list, which Labour has said that they would do as well. That's been one of their policies. Increase the annual charge foreign workers pay to use the NHS uh, from £624 to £1,035, keeping in mind that a lot of these migrant workers are working in the NHS. And raise the minimum income for family visas from £18,600 to £38,700, um, basically doubling it and making it, that threshold is now higher than the median wage in uh, the UK, which that has got quite a lot of attention as well, because it means that if you are British and you want to marry somebody from another country, you now have to be earning more than 73% of the population yeah. um, to be able to do that. And there was a lot of back and forth as to whether that was the amount that uh, a couple would have to earn together or a single person is like this, the British person would have to be earning that. And then there was confusion over whether this would apply to foreign spouses currently in the UK. And bizarrely, the Home Office says, yes, it would. So the Home Office current position is if you are 
legally married to someone from a different country and they came here legally on a spousal visa, uh, according to the old rules, but you're not earning £38,000, they have to go back to their home country, which I don't think will actually happen in practice, but kind of shows that I'm not sure this was thought through to quite the degree that you would hope. Well, something I thought that showed how rushed and panicked these changes were was because of the exemptions for those health and care workers that you mentioned and the teachers and things, who the raised minimum salary threshold doesn't apply to, um, it basically means that the these spousal and family visa changes are more draconian for Brits than they are for migrants. So if you come over as a worker in the NHS and you don't earn 38700 you can bring your spouse over um, if you earn above the, the, the former threshold. Um, but if you're British, but you if can't. you're British, you can't. Even yeah. if you have that same job in the NHS. So, so actually, I think some of these things really haven't been thought through, which which goes to show how rushed they were. Um, it just speaks to the absolute panic that went through the yeah. Conservative Party and Westminster in general. I think when those figures were released, you know, they were extremely high. So people and the government said we have to do something immediately, both to address the concerns. Uh, with the MPs and also to not let it get out, ha- get out of hand as a political um, issue. I mean, they're grappling with the fact that they've promised for years and years and years to solve this problem and haven't. Um, so Rishi Sunak's basically saying, or betting everything, betting the house on the fact that he's going to grasp immigration as an issue. And yeah. that's why we've got such a, a, a swift and you might say dra- draconian response. And I think they will they will get the numbers down, won't they? Because a lot of these um, a lot of these migrants in the figures that you quoted, Rachel, were through Ukraine refugee scheme, Hong Kong refugee scheme, and um, the sort of uh, build-up of international students over COVID, which, you know, that should calm down by the next set of figures as well. So they will, I think they will oversee a drop in uh, net migration, legal migration figures. So they'll probably use these kind of changes that they've introduced to kind of to point to those yeah, if to it, that if drop. It's, if it's seven hundred thousand at the moment, and they're saying it's going to reduce that by three hundred thousand, you're still left with four hundred thousand, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is still way above where they've said it they want it to be. I yeah. just want to call you out on something that you said, which is you called it a problem, and obviously it is a problem for the Conservative Party, mm. and it is a challenge in terms of housing and public services and GP appointments and schools um, very, very much so. And I'm not underestimating the, the scale of any of that. But with the exception of the Ukraine scheme and the Hong Kong scheme, which is a new set of one-offs, the other migrants who are coming here are coming for shortage occupations to work in the healthcare sector or as international students funding, propping up British universities, which are heavily reliant on international students paying international fees. And you get a lot of conservatives, you get Danny Kruger, Neil O'Brien, Nick Timothy, sort of saying that that's not sustainable and that numbers of that, that level aren't sustainable. And obviously those numbers are very, very high, but they don't then say immediately, what are you going to do if you ban a whole lot of international students and half your universities collapse or if you ban foreign workers from coming to working in the NHS and the NHS waiting lists get even longer and if you look individually at the breakdown of all of those areas if you ask the public should we have more foreign doctors and nurses to help bring down waiting lists generally public are supportive if you ask voters do you think like this university should either close or you know be allowed to double its fees for domestic students they're not too keen on that either. If you say, do you want to raise taxes to be able to pay for the social care so we can pay hired wages, so we can get domestic workers to do that work, that's not very popular either. So yes, the migration figure is a problem, but solving it in a sort of dramatically reducing the numbers kind of way does itself come with a lot of other problems. Yeah, Mm -hmm. naturally. I mean, it's 
the numbers that we're seeing at the moment are a symptom of all of the other problems that you just set out. I mean, why is it that we have to bring in so many social care workers from elsewhere? Well, in part, it's because social care workers are paid so poorly. We don't fund the system properly. We don't fund the system properly. There's so much exploitation. There's so much room for manoeuvre around the regulations within the care sector. You mentioned housing. Okay, well, if we have got a massive housing crisis, of course, you're going to uh, exacerbate that if you're not building enough houses by bringing in more people, obviously. So it's a symptom of those problems completely. Yeah, so all you're you're saying, I think, is essentially that we have to deal with those problems at root. Yeah, I'm saying that looking at the problem of high migration without looking at all of the problems that you would cause by reducing any of those numbers doesn't give you the the full picture. And I think it's quite misleading when you get Conservatives who are absolutely outraged by the headline figure but aren't prepared to commit the funding or the structural policy changes in any of those areas that would naturally bring the number down. Yeah, I agree and I would hope that if we do decrease the number of people coming in to go and work in the NHS or the care sector, for instance, you would see a rise in the wages of people who work in that sector. Yeah, although as, I mean, Will Dunn, our colleague business editor, he interviewed the head of the Migration Advisory Committee, which is the which is the body that advises the Home Office on this stuff, on shortage occupation lists, who to put on and things like that. Um, And he actually said um, the evidence shows that migrants earn the same as uh, Brits on average. So it's not necessarily... Sure, on average, but not in those sectors where they can earn 20% less than the going... Which which they're going to get rid of, yeah. But I do think, you know, if you you basically make it more attractive um, for migrants to come and work in the care sector, then... I'm not sure that the, these these provisions are going to bring the numbers down very significantly at all. Um, with these exem- exemptions that you have, I think it's quite likely that you're going to see quite similar numbers coming over and actually probably relying more on the state because they're not going to have their family members there to support them. So it's I, I do think they're sticking to their current economic model, which is a high migration model, well, Swal- even though some of these sound like quite dramatic changes. Swala Braverman suggested that what we needed was a quota, a, a national quota on migration and to have all the departments. So you know, the, the business department, the health department, the education department, you know, each assigned a certain number and working together to make sure that they don't, you know, top that. The problem with that is that each individual department has issued this number of visas because it's in their interests to do so. So, like, there is a... It's one of those things where the the government's overall target is at odds with the targets and the needs of the individual departments. Do you need a gift that's priceless? Liberal, free-thinking journalism has never been more important. Give the stories and the perspectives that matter with 20% off our gift subscriptions this holiday season. View the link on the show notes to save 20%. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And and something else cleverly has been concentrating on in the second half of this week, he's had a busy week, uh, is uh, the Rwanda scheme, which is 
about a different part of migration altogether. It's about the people who try and come here through irregular routes rather than through the schemes that we've just been talking about. Um, he signed a treaty with Rwanda um, and then the government has published its emergency legislation, which is to try and see off legal challenges to its deportation scheme. Freddie, can you explain the treaty? So we've got the treaty yeah, got and then we've things. got the safety of Rwanda asylum and immigration. Yeah, so bill. essentially this is the government's uh, response to the Supreme Court judgment, which ruled that... The Rwanda scheme, as it currently stands, uh, is it goes against the law because there's a risk of non-refoulement whereby some migrants in Rwanda might be sent to a, a country where they're persecuted. So they're trying to address it in two ways. First, you've got the treaty, whereby it's a legally binding agreement with Rwanda, which states that they are not allowed to send migrants who are sent there elsewhere, mm-hmm. unless it's back to the UK. So that's one, one way in which they've dealt with that. And then the second part is this quite extraordinary bill, uh, which was introduced to the House of Commons this week, which essentially says that we as a parliament, as as one Tory, put it, uh, Tory MP put it to me, the highest court in the land, um, are asserting the fact that Rwanda is a safe country, regardless of what uh, the facts or the courts may say. So in addition to that, they've uh, essentially said that uh, the courts are not able to rule that it's otherwise. Yep. So... What they're trying to do is to shut down the chance of uh, legal challenges. They have um, left open uh, the opportunity for individual migrants to place individual uh, challenges in the courts, which some Tory MPs are, are annoyed about. Others others think it's just a, you know, a normal right that you have in a liberal society whereby someone can have uh, a course of uh, challenging the courts as an individual. Mm. But you know, this is it's quite it's quite. Um, stark how strongly they've rebutted something that would normally fall within the court's remit. That's essentially what this is. I mean, they've said we're going to, as a parliament, as you know, as the, the sovereign institution in the UK, dictate how we see things to be and the courts will have to fall under line with that. I mean, it doesn't mean necessarily or it doesn't mean that uh, people can't go to Strasbourg and they go to this yeah. ECHR there. So there's still an opportunity for legal challenges there. However, they have preempted that and basically said that ministers can decide whether or not they ignored those rulings. So, I mean, they've tried to address every single conception or possibility of challenge to these deportations and put it in the bill. So let's see whether it goes through Parliament um, because, I mean, there's you know there's opposition from some MPs. Is it going to get through the Lords? So there's some questions there. But, yeah, this is them trying to close down any opposition to the Rwanda scheme. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it seems to challenge both the rule of law but also doesn't cancel out some you know, uh, ways of challenging the, the decisions in court. Um, so it kind of hasn't pleased anyone in a way. You've got Suella Braverman saying yeah. it doesn't meet her tests. Robert Jenrick, the Im- immigration minister, resigned quite spectacularly because James Cleverly was announcing these things in Parliament and he was nowhere to be seen and there were rumours that he he wasn't on board and he said he's saying it didn't go far enough. So you've got those Tories... I mean, it's interesting because Robert Jenrick was not really seen as a minister on the right, really, until he seemed to be captured by the Home Office or at least his own ambitions. <laughs> um but yeah, you've got those stories on the right who feel that it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. And then you've got the One Nation group, which I think originally welcomed the um, the new measures, but are now a little bit more uh, well, sceptical. Go on, Richard. I, I was going to say that one of the reasons that they welcomed it a bit more is that that particular group are feeling a bit more confident after the reshuffle because they did quite well in the reshuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had said that they weren't going to support any bill that 
broke international law. Um, interestingly, Rwanda has also said that they won't be part of a deal yeah. that breaks international law, which is kind of hilarious that you've now got Rwanda telling Britain don't break international law. Um, but it's a very, very narrow sort of Venn diagram that you can get the crossover of it being extreme enough for those on the right who don't want there to be any role for the courts or any chance of there being a role for the court at all and then those in the one nation group who don't want it to in any, any way break international or break 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 the law essentially mm. and trying to have a a system that simultaneously excludes the courts but doesn't exclude the courts too much there's like a sliver of of space in between <laughs> or at least Rishi Sunak was hoping that there was but now today it, it looks like perhaps that that space doesn't really exist in the way that he thought it did well yeah, I mean, this is why the statement from the Rwandan government is so interesting, because it essentially backs up Rishi Sunak's claim that they couldn't have gone any further without the Rwandan saying, we don't want any part of this. Yeah. It's quite helpful for him, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes Robert Jemrick's position look unsustainable, because he's claiming we could have gone further, and it's the only way the scheme can happen. And then you've got the, the Rwandan government saying, well, if you did go further, there wouldn't be we any scheme have, to begin with. We would have pulled out the, of the treaty, place. we wouldn't yeah. have signed exactly. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and also it just, I mean, even if it passes, and there's a lot of questions about sort of how it will be changed, may, maybe in the Commons, but definitely by the House of Lords, you'd mm. think that they would bring some amendments. Um, what happens then if individual migrants take their cases all the way up to the European Court of Human Rights, and then ministers have to make that decision whether to ignore that ruling or go ahead with it. What happens then? And what happens if Rwanda breaks the terms of the treaty? Do, does the UK ignore that? You know, so there's all of these different stumbling blocks of where they will, you know, have to face the decision of whether they break international law or not, which could mean that flights to Rwanda are yet again yet to take off. I think the hope is that they can get one plane to take <laughs> off. Uh, and that if there are challenges they can get the plane to take off first and have migrants then challenge it in Strasbourg afterwards and then they can kind of have that argument with the ECHR once the plane has taken off the sort of symbolism of this plane even though it's only got one person on it taking off has kind of become central to the Tory identity but also to the sort of Tory hopes of possibly winning the next election. Now none of the polls show that that is likely that this wouldn't do enough to be able to, to move the polls. And also that while migration is a really salient issue for Conservative voters, it's not a salient issue for swing voters or Labour voters who are much more interested in the cost of living crisis in the NHS. So it's one of those things where even if they could get the plane to take off, there's no guarantee it would save them the election. But I think in the sort of Tory psyche, it's become this thing. Become one totemic, hasn't one it? plane, that's all they need, and that will somehow save them. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it was interesting watching uh, Rishi Sunak's press conference. Yes, yeah, so he <coughs> did a week. press conference to sort of defend or Which, announce the, well, these it was, measures. Well, it was interesting. I mean, he came out with such a... I mean, if you're being complimentary, you call it like this verve, this energy. But it was, it, I think it dipped into anger uh, and he looked very irritable and, and people keep using the word tetchy, um, which is interesting because I think he feels like his premiership and his reputation and his ability to lead the party is dependent on this succeeding. They, they have gone all in on this issue, which is interesting when you think back to the autumn statement when we were seeing some dividing lines tax. being made with Labour on tax, on fiscal yeah. conservatism, on you know how you grow the economy. Is it investment or is it through tax cuts? So those were some of the dividing lines that we had and it feels as if they've jettisoned those in favour of the migration issue on both legal and illegal, uh, which is highly risky because on both of them, as we discussed, it's, it 
it's highly likely that they might fail. Yeah, and and there's been a bit of more exposure of his sort of perhaps um, his ineptitude at politics, hasn't there? Because he and Robert Jenrick were quite close. I remember they did that op-ed along with Oliver Dowden endorsing Boris Johnson. Um, and Robert Jenrick sort of, uh, he, he backed Sunak in both of those leadership campaigns when a lot of Conservative MPs who weren't that keen on Liz Truss were moving across to support Liz Truss. He stuck with him. Um, so, And the calculation was, let's put Jenrick in the Home Office to try and temper Suella Braverman, which, you know, Tory prime ministers have done in the past similar things. I think Damien Green was put in on the immigration brief to try and, to try and be that one nation voice in that department. And it clearly hasn't worked out Maybe Jenrick has has felt very frustrated by the blocks within the Home Office or, um, you know, within the court system to this to these measures that they want to bring across. But also perhaps he feels slighted that he didn't get promoted Mm. for his loyalty. Um, And so is that a misstep from Rishi Sunak as well in terms of just, you know, being a political operator? Yeah, so I think the reshuffle hasn't played out well for him. Um, Bringing Cameron in, like... There, there were arguments for, for that, and I think quite a lot of MPs are quite quite pleased about about that. But the rest of the reshuffle that was kind of his opportunity to clear out anyone that he hadn't chosen himself and just stick a whole load of allies in, which he didn't get the chance to do taking over from mm. this trust, that's what he did. And it's a really de- delicate balancing act with the reshuffle because you do want to be surrounded by allies, but you also have to give enough to your opponents or your possible rivals that they feel seen and heard and valued. And he he didn't do that and I think Jenrick, <laughs> well he did with Bravman and I mean there, there's a lot yes. of examples of how many of these things that we all sort of were stroking our chins about and saying was very wise when yeah. he put his cabinet together actually haven't worked out well, that well I think getting rid of Bravman you could have done that but bringing somebody else in at a lower cabinet position to still say you know there's some voice mm. yeah I mean I guess that's why we had the appointment of estimate very late in the day mm. yeah minister for common sense it's, it's, not, it's, it's not enough no. um, and I do think Jenrick was angling for more of a promotion and was disappointed that he didn't get one I also think you've got to see it in the context of the shadow leadership contest that is going on with yeah. all of these conservatives they forget which is, you know, they're looking ahead what are they going to need if they want to have a stab at it Robert Jenrick is one of the ones who might quite like a go and I think has made a calculation that being very tough on immigration is a way to make yourself palatable to the right of the party while still enjoying the support of the kind of more common sense moderate. So I think it's it's a tactical position as well probably of, of being quite fed up. Yeah, and most, most ministers who go into the Home Office end up, you know, being up. home office, right? It, it, like in, it, under Labour, under New Labour, it happens. Your, it happens. Your psyche, yeah. He was the one who wanted to paint, he painted over these, these mur- not not personally, but the murals in the Kent um, facility yeah. no, for, for ch- child migrants. Robert Jenrick holding a paintbrush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll have plenty more time to paint some walls now. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We will get on to the other ones in our next You Ask Us episode. And we read them all, so keep them coming in. If you'd like to send one, you can go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, you can just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.